0: Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Keith Green wrote a song of early 1980s, a song most of us know uh, partially. It's a song called "O oh Lord, You're Beautiful," and I spelt it wrong on the uh, outline. It's Y O U apostrophe R E. <laughs> okay. What most of you don't know is there's actually four verses. If you were to go on Song Select or find it in one of our praise books, you're going to find two verses. And these two verses are nice. Let, let, let me just read them for you. "O oh Lord, You're beautiful. Your face is all I seek." And when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. That's verse one. Verse four, or actually, verse two for most of us. uh, O Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear, replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. Now, Uh, There's also a bridge. I want to take your word and shine it all around. First, help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. Now, the the difficulty is is there's a verse 2 and there's a verse 3, and as you see verse 2 and 3, 4 all of a sudden makes a little bit more sense. Let me read verse 2 for you. O Lord, my body's tired, but you keep reminding me of many holy, tireless men who spilt their blood for thee. Verse 3. At this point, the bridge comes in. Verse 3. O Lord, my faith is small, and I need a touch from you. Your book of books lies undisturbed And the prayers for me, too few. Now listen to verse 4 again. "O O Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. I want to take your word and shine it all around. First, help me just to live it. And when I'm doing well, Help me to never seek a crown, for my reward is giving glory to you. Now, not only were verses 2 and 3 eliminated from the copyrighted version, I don't even know if we can sing verses 2 and 3. I am giving Keith Green all the credit for these uh, words. You can see it on YouTube, okay? Uh, But uh, it's interesting, they changed some words in the song also. Um, in verse 1, and when your eyes are on this child, your grace abounds to me. His actual word was, your love abounds to me. Now, I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but it is interesting because when you come to verse 5, which is just verse 1 repeated, he says, and uh, when your eyes are on this child, your faith abounds to me. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. Uh, there are some other words uh, on the bridge. Help me to never seek a crown. He, he actually says, help me to never make a sound. Okay? Uh, and where it says, and when I'm doing well, it's if I'm doing well. Uh, when, I don't have a problem with well. We, we get it right sometimes, or when. Okay? Uh, but he said, if I'm doing well, help me never make a sound, and then accept to give all the glory. To you instead of for my reward is giving glory to you. Um, why did they change the words? Or why did they eliminate the two verses? I think, I, I don't know their motives, but I think that we do not like to be reminded that we don't always got it going on, you know? We want people to think we've got it going on. That we're doing okay. And the problem with that is when we talk about walking worthy, if you're faking it till you make it, are you walking worthy? Yeah, no, you really aren't. So within the teaching of the Word of God, not only do we have exhortation, encouragement to do a certain thing, we have admonition. We have reproof. As I I look at the possible future, the possible future, I don't know what's going to happen. I I do know that the possible future is what's going to happen in the future. I just don't know if we're going to be here for it. Okay, But I, I look at scriptures like Before the day of the Lord, now the day of the Lord is a broad term. Sometimes it refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it refers to the millennial kingdom, and sometimes it refers to the tribulation and the millennial kingdom. Um, I'm going to say that it applies in this particular passage to the tribulation and everything that follows. Before the day of the Lord, there's going to be a great Falling away. The word there falling away is apostasy. Now, why would there be a great apostasy? We're already seeing that happen. Uh, I did turn this on right, yes. Uh, (laughs) I'm not hearing myself too well, so. But uh, we're already seeing a little bit of that happen. I mean, we have progressive Christians. Uh, The word progressive there is the same as in politics. They basically have determined uh, what's yay and nay, what's right, what's wrong. And uh, they've really taken in all of that our culture has, and they bring it into the church, and then they change God and His Word to meet their wokeness. Okay? Uh, One uh, TikTok video I saw of a progressive... A pastor talking about Jesus being a racist, having been rebuked, and then having repented. Kind of like, uh, I don't think you understand who Jesus really is. And and yet, he's a Christian pastor. Well, he may be a pastor. I'm I'm not sure that he's a Christian. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't say it. He did. He said, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's not saying words. That's understanding who he is. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Then, of course, you have uh, gay Christians. You have all these things that God says, you shall not do. And they're doing it. And God God knows he's merciful. He's loving. It's okay. Kind of like, no, it, it really isn't. Well, you can't go back to Leviticus because then you can't eat shrimp and lobster. I don't have to go back to Leviticus. I can go to Romans. Okay? Whole point being is, why is there going to be a great falling away? Well, some of it may just be the degradation of Christianity through means like this. Some of it might be because, what if it cost you your life to be a Christian? How many all of a sudden would rethink whether or not it was worth it? We've seen it in past history. In fact, you can go all the way back to the first couple of centuries, and uh, a lot of people uh, professing to be saved, when persecution came, they gave it all up. And then when persecution was released, they came back hoping that they could be all part of the church. And there was a big to-do about, no, 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 no. Fool me once, shame on uh, you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And they weren't letting people back into the church that uh, had said, forget that when persecution came. Uh, So we've seen it happen in history. What might cause people to say, No, it's not worth it. I don't know about you, but dying. I'm going to close my eyes on this side, and I'm going to open them up on that side. That's just not a real problem. The problem that we have is how we're going to get there. Torture. I mean, can man be wicked and evil in the way he treats other men? Once again, history shows us yes. So there may be a great departure, apostasy from the church. So with that in mind, as we're talking about walking worthy, we need to understand a few things. First of all, uh, we have what we call positional truth. Uh, If you will, this is doctrine. Doctrine. The Bible is profitable for doctrine, for teaching us what is true. Uh, Doctrine is the true basis, or if you will, motive of practical application. That's your first underline there, just in case you weren't paying attention. Okay, Uh, Positional truth, or doctrine, is the true basis or motive of practical application. In other words, the Bible says, thus... I believe thus, therefore, my life should show that I believe thus. Uh, Whenever the Jehovah's Witnesses stop by and visit you, they're going to want to go to James chapter 2, showing that a man is justified by works. Know your Bible well enough to know that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He was somewhere around 75, 80 years of age. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 22. If he was 75 back there in Genesis 15, Genesis 22 happens 40 years later. Isaac is probably an early teenager, maybe 15, maybe less. So it might be 37 years. Okay, give me a break. But he offers Isaac as the sacrifice, thus proving his faith was real. When did Abraham, to use New Testament terminology, get saved? Genesis 15. You believe truth, you act according to that truth. Now notice... 40-year difference in time. What does that tell me? That it takes time. I'm so glad that God puts that in there because there are those who would have you believe that you get saved and, well, pretty much going to do everything right and perfect from here on out. And having not done it that way, I'm trying to give hope to those of you that are still struggling. Okay? But when you believe truth, it will change your life. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ and that He died to pay for your sins, it will change your life, starting on the inside and working it way out. When you believe that something is wrong, you'll probably stop doing it. Now, for those of you that are still struggling, let's understand something. We're going to give you a little bit of grace because Getting it through our thick skulls, our, not just yours, okay, takes time. We may understand a truth, but until it becomes your truth, yeah, you're going to be working on that for a little while. That's life, okay? Now, uh, let's understand also at this point that the Holy Spirit does not cooperate in experiences when we ignore the grace basis of our relationship with God. If you get saved, and I know I did. I went to a church that was very, very legalistic. The King James Version was the re-inspired version, and some of you may hold that. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I, I just can't go there with you. Okay, I've studied enough Greek and Hebrew to know that we got a good translation in the English Bible. I don't care if it's the Holman, the King James, the New King James. Even the ones that aren't that good, NIV, sorry kids, um, are still pretty good. Got some problems with it, I understand, but... And everybody wants to talk about the Westcott and Horton. That's where the New World... Oh, just do a little bit of studying, would you? Okay? There are over 6,000 manuscripts out there. We've got a good translation of the Word of God. Okay? So, But I I went to a church where the King James Version was the re-inspired version. Um, Women had to dress a certain way. Hair had to be a certain length. They added all these rules that you're not going to find in God's Word. And if you did those things, then you were a good Christian. Then God was pleased with you. I want to tell you that when you add things to God's Word like that, the Holy Spirit is not in that. Okay? The Holy Spirit is trying to illuminate, reveal to you truth, and then work on you to show you how to live it out. Okay? Now, there are all kinds of principles within the Word of God that might lead someone to that kind of a thinking, but, yeah, we're told to walk in the Spirit, not walk according to all the rules. Okay? Let me give you an example, a practical application. Uh, in... Uh, In Romans chapter 9, 30 through 10, 4, we see Israel's motive. Uh, They were not, uh, they were living in such a way to be accepted by God. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 10, 4, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith, but Israel. "...pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness." Why? Motive. "...because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." "...for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes." So notice, for us, we're not living to be accepted by God. We are living as an accepted, perfected person because of what God has made true in our lives by the power and the grace of God. Because of who Christ is and what He did, He has forever perfected them that are sanctified. Who are the sanctified? Those that are born again. Okay? So, we have doctrine, lifestyle. How are you living? We see in three verses, well, let me see uh, where I am on my outline here. <laughs> so application, how we live out the truth. Uh, number three, we have everything that we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, Who called us by glory and virtue, by which, having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the whole point being is, God has given us everything we need. Notice letter A, a changed heart. New covenant stuff that I talked about a little bit ago. Letter B, the Word of God. How do you get the knowledge of Him? He revealed himself in the Word. How about uh, God working in us? Uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, <laughs> just in case you didn't under, understand that until, none of you have been perfected in practice yet. Positionally, God sees you. You're perfected. You're complete. You're glorified already. How many of you are glorified? I know the glare on my head might make it look that way, but that's another thing altogether, okay? Uh, whole point being is, he's still at work. If he began a good work in you, he is going to continue that work until you see Jesus. And then you're going to be like him, because you're going to see him as he is. Or how about Philippians 2.13? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now notice, it's for his good pleasure. The reason why that's important is we're going to talk about it a little bit later. Okay, he's the one that is at work, making you more like Jesus. Again, we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. So that brings us down here to oh uh, number four, letter D. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God residing in us, enabling us to live according to the Word of God to do the will of God. Okay, t- tell me what we, more we need. Okay, uh, that was a short uh, discussion. (laughs) That brings us to number two, the call to walk worthy. Now, uh, I I know there's uh, people that go to church here that have the little walk worthy uh, sticker on the back of their car. Uh, I know a couple that have it uh, uh, tattooed onto their skin. Uh, They probably have it there to remind themselves. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, I, I know some of you all don't like tattoos. I don't have any. I'm just saying nothing wrong with it because we all need reminders. Scripture is full of things that say we need reminders, okay? So uh, walking worthy. Uh, In Ephesians 1-4, we're going to go ahead and start there, letter A. Uh, Walking worthy of your calling. Ephesians 1-4 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now the first thing I want you to catch here is that we have been called. Now uh, as a pastor... Those of you that don't know me, uh, don't probably know this. I never wanted to be a pastor. I got saved when I was 21. I come out of a pagan, heathen background. Yep, and everything that goes with that. But one of the things I never wanted to do once I got into Bible college was become a pastor. I wanted to be a missionary. God gave me the opportunity, spent four years in Brazil, uh, yada, yada, and here I am a pastor. Now, there are a variety of reasons why I didn't want to be a pastor. One of them is I find people to be an absolute pain in the ear. I know I'm one of them, but still, uh, yeah, I, I just never felt as though I was that, okay? And so when we talk about calling to the mission field, to the pastorate, uh, very often uh, no one knows what they're talking about, they all, they all think they do, but uh, i I don't know about a calling to be a pastor. What I do know is every Christian is called, okay? Now, there may be a general call out there that goes to anybody, but when we've heard the call, we answer, okay? And why do we hear the call? Because God is so gracious to us, okay? Uh, well, isn't he gracious to everybody else? Sure he is, just not in the same way. And, but as Christians... We have a call, not only for salvation, but for everything that goes with it as we'll see as we go along here. So um, we're to walk worthy. Now notice, God counting us worthy and fulfilling the good pleasure of his goodness. 2 Thessalonians 1 11 says, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of uh, work of faith with power. Now if you read that verse, we're praying that God would count you worthy. I don't know about you, but that sounds like they might not be what you need to understand once again when we get back to the Greek and the Hebrew and the way it's written and all that kind of stuff, there is no question about whether or not they're worthy, so it is not questionable why. Well, Second Thessalonians 1 4 to 10, I'm only going to read a portion of that passage so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for you for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God notice paul is saying you're going through it which just proves you're one of his so later when he's saying in the in the same passage that uh, i'm praying that god would count you worthy he's not praying that maybe He's praying for them that they would get through these things and that it would be evident to all, and obviously God knows that they are worthy. So uh, it is not questionable. Second of all, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.3 uh, also talks about this work of faith. Uh, uh, this is the same people, Paul is writing the first letter here, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Whole point being is, uh, back there in uh, the first passage there, we have... Therefore, we also pray always that uh, for you that God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. It is God that is bringing about that work of faith in you. Why? Because if you're born again, you're a new creature. You've got a new spirit, a new heart, and that's going to show itself. That's the work of faith. But he goes on to say, uh, with power, so notice uh, Luke 24 49 says behold i send the promise of my father upon you but tarry in the city of jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high and what do we know happen about 10 days later holy spirit comes upon them and they are endued with power When you got saved, you were baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ and sealed there until the day of redemption, at which point the Holy Spirit moved inside of you, and now you are endued with power. What for? So that you might walk worthy. Okay? As we go on in our uh, outline here, notice God's salvation includes the calling in 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, as I read that verse, what are the things that stick out? Well, first of all, it is not according to works, but his own purpose, what is God's purpose in your life if you're born again? Well, Romans eight twenty-eight and twenty-nine tell us, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are call, the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now I have five children. Uh, I would say as of even a few years ago, our oldest daughter, when she stands next to mom and they go someplace public, people ask them, are you sisters? Which I'm going, 60, uh, you know, 35, come on, you, you can't see that. No offense intended, honey. <laughs> uh, whole point being is there, there's a similarity. When, when people look at my boys, they go, wow, there's little Al. Well, actually, little Al is about that tall, okay? Uh, he, he walks like me. He, he jokes like me. And, and then the other two, well, Daniel, we're not sure who he belongs to because he doesn't look like anybody. In fact, I've been told he has absolutely no Osden DNA in him, uh, but uh, just Sherman DNA. Uh, but Jonathan obviously, again, uh, kind of looks like his dad. And w- what does God want? He wants a bunch of children that look just like Jesus, And so he is doing the work to make us look like Jesus. Okay? That's part of your calling. It comes with your salvation. Notice in Ephesians one four and Ephesians two ten that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Uh, going back to Ephesians one four, uh, I gotta, I really need to stop doing this. There we go. Uh, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Uh, Ephesians two ten. Uh, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath pre- pre- prepared beforehand. okay? Uh, so that that's the point there that um, we should be holy and without blame. Okay. Not only that, but notice uh, His grace. Not only His purpose, but His grace. It is active in our lives before salvation. Uh, Galatians uh, 1.15 uh, says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through grace. Now, Paul was a student. He, uh, he says, according to law, he was blameless, perfect okay? He had studied under one of the top rabbis and all that kind of stuff, still needed to get saved. When was God working on all that? He separated him from before he was born. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, I grew up in foster homes, broken home, foster homes, uh, lived with my dad for a while, well, lived with my mom and my uh, stepdad for a while, ran away, lived with my dad for a while, lived with grandparents, aunts and uncles, da-da-da-da-da-da, and when did God save me? After I had moved 17 times. Okay, I'm 21 years of age, have already been involved in all the things that my family taught me how to live life and all that kind of stuff, and I get saved at 21. When was God working on me to bring me to salvation? Yes, for 21 years. It wasn't a, hey, there's a guy. Maybe we should save him. No, no, this is all part of his plan. And he was using all of that brokenness to make me look for love. Now, I w- was looking for it, as the old song says, in all the wrong places and all that kind of stuff, okay? But the reality is, he knew all that was going to happen. He was bringing me to the right place. So when I saw it, <laughs> there, there is nothing else I want, okay? Uh, that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, he, he uh, is doing this, even before uh, our salvation. Why is he doing this? Uh, notice his work makes us acceptable to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved or in Christ alone, if you will. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to, not out of, according to the riches of his grace. How rich are, is his grace? It is rich. So, how much grace did you need? As much as you needed, you got. My wife was saved at 10 years of age, raised in a relatively uh, sheltered environment, uh, being saved from sin. I was saved after a lot of sin. So, I was saved out of sin. God's grace was sufficient for both. Isn't that great? He's made us accepted. That is all that's included in our salvation. And notice, when did he do it? Before time began. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. So, whole point being is, we're to walk worthy of his calling, and yet... Our calling is part of our salvation, it's part of our sanctification, and God is the one that's doing all the work. And all we need to do is walk with Him. Now if you're not fully uh, convinced yet, let's look at Colossians 1.10. Colossians 1.10 says, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So notice, letter B, fully pleasing him. What do you got to do to fully please him? You know, we we talk about someday when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm hoping that I'm going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well, none of us are good in and of ourselves. And we sometimes have a hard time figuring out how to Be good. You know, someone agitates us just enough. Drive down 159 at 30 miles an hour and I'm behind you. Mm. Don't understand it. Can I tell you that God is at work in me, developing patience? My wife says, You just need more patience. And I say, I'm not a doctor. I don't need patience. She goes, You don't know how to spell. So, If we're going to be fully pleasing to Him, this is what it looks like. We're going to be fruitful in every good work, and we're going to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, all of this is walking worthy of the Lord. So, first of all, fruitfulness. Being fruitful, letter A. Being fruitful. In Luke 8, 14 and 15, it says, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they've heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now, most of you know the parable of the soils. We've got four soils. Satan comes and takes away the seed in the one. Second one is among the rocks, has no root. It might spring up, but when the sun comes out, eh, okay. Third one is among the thorns, the thistles. Uh, in this verse, we actually see what the thorns are. They are the cares of life, the riches, the pleasures of life. And notice what it says, they bring no fruit to maturity. It doesn't say they don't have any fruit, okay. Now, the reason why that's important is within that, particular parable, some people think that three of the soils are saved because they all receive the word. Uh, I think Chuck Swindoll thinks that only two of them are, this guy here and the one that brings forth 40, 60, and 100 fold. Can I tell you something? When people don't bear fruit, uh, we don't know where they are spiritually. They, they might not be saved. But I also know that can a Christian get caught up in the cares of this world and it cause stunted growth, if you will? Yeah. So so I I don't know about the guy that uh, doesn't bring any fruit to maturity, but I do know that when we got it right, when we're on the same page with God, we can bring forth 40, 60, 100-fold fruit. Uh, So... Immature or mature uh, is uh, what you have there. Uh, They might be immature. They've gotten caught up in the things of this world, that kind of thing. Uh, Or they might be mature. That would be the two uh, possibles there. How about uh, the next one, number two? Lifeless or stunted growth? You might remember in Luke 13, uh, he spoke this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none now wh- when you when you think of a tree, if there's no leaves at all, would you come looking for fruit? No, so the idea is this tree has leaves okay now there's another story where Jesus walks into a uh, town and sees a fig tree, and it 's funny because it says it was not the season for figs, okay. So in February, I'm going to go down to Eckert's and look for peaches. Kind of stupid if you ask me, right? Well, fig trees are a little bit different than other trees, okay? Their fruit will remain on that tree until the next blossom comes forth or until somehow it's knocked off the branch. So there's either fruit on the ground or there's fruit on the tree, okay? Okay. So in this particular case, he sees there's leaves, and this is the third year, there's no fruit. How do I know? Well, it goes on. And he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Uh, we, we bought a blue spruce uh, tree for Christmas a couple years ago. You know, you bring it inside. It's got the ball on it. You bring it inside, dress it up for two weeks, and then quickly go out and dig in the frozen ground and plant it, and it, it's been you know growing, and my wife found something in it, some kind of worm or something. It's, it's going to die, so she cut off all the branches. If you drive by my house right now, there's a blue spruce about that tall with absolutely no branches on it. I, I haven't gotten around. I tried to knock it over with the lawnmower yesterday. It didn't happen, but uh, um, you know it's useless. It's, it, it's dying on uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so cut it down. Well, verse 9 says... Uh, between seven and nine, you got eight, of course. The guy says, hey, let me cultivate it. Let me uh, uh, put some fertilizer on it and we'll see if, if something's going to happen. And then verse nine, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Okay, so is this tree lifeless or is there stunted growth for some reason where it's not bearing fruit? Uh, the guy was hoping that through the cultivation, through the, uh, uh, yeah, what you said, what did you say? Fertilizer, that's it. He said fertilizer, whether he said it or not. <laughs> um, through the cultivation and the fertilizer, hopefully something would kick in in that thing and it would bring forth fruit. If not, okay, you fine, we'll cut it down. Uh, so was it lifeless or was there stunted growth? There seems to have been some stunted growth in there. And uh, why is that important? Because as we look at the church, if there's going to be a great falling away, why might be one of the reasons? Immaturity. How about another reason? Stunted growth. Maybe there's some lifelessness. Maybe there's those wheat and tares type thing where you got the tares that say, yeah, no, I'm not going to get uh, you know, punished for believing in Jesus. I, I really didn't. I was only kidding. Uh, but if you're immature or if you have stunted growth, that might be one of the things that causes this great falling away. Um, I'm hoping it's the first one, not the latter two. Uh, but notice in John 15, we have the conditions for being fruitful. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may, be, uh, that it may bear more fruit. Uh, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're already worthy. You're already called. You're already saved. You're born again. you got the Spirit of God in you. Uh, abide in me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. Now, uh, people want to get into the muck and say, Oh, what does it mean every, plant, uh, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, the Father cuts off? Worry about losing your salvation. Can I tell you something? Theologically, biblically, if you're born again, you're stuck. You can't do a thing about it. You can't jump out of Jesus. Nothing else is going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are stuck. Grow up. Okay? If you don't feel like you're saved, well, examine yourself. What are you trusting in? If you're trusting in anything but the finished work of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ, well, you probably aren't, okay? But if you know that's the only way, then really what it comes down to is you need to start growing uh, in your knowledge of God and understanding who He is and what He's like, and then live accordingly because a positional truth, practical application. If you're not living it, you ain't going to feel it, okay? doesn't mean it's not true. just means you ain't going to feel it. So the whole point being here is we're not going to worry about the muckety-muck stuff. We're going to talk about, look, abide in Christ. His words abide in you. Remain attached, not in the sense of salvation, but what does the branch get from the vine? It sucks all the juices that are coming up that vine. And and from that, it gets its sustenance. It gets everything it needs so that it can mm, pop out some fruit there, okay? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And yet, the theological surveys that are done year after year after year show that God's people, I'll put quotes around that, are biblically ignorant. They've chosen to believe that which the Bible does not teach. There is no hell is one of those things. A large percentage of evangelical Christians... Don't believe that there's a hell, and yet Jesus spoke about it four times more than heaven. Hmm, interesting. How about the devil? Not a little guy in a red suit, okay? Actively involved in tripping you up. But we don't even believe in spiritual warfare because I can handle life, and when I can't, then I'll call upon God. Try again. We need to abide. The idea is we're going to live with him. I was uh, do some training at the gym with a guy down the road. He's a born-again believer. And uh, I can't remember what we were doing. It hurt, whatever it was. And uh, for for an hour, I'm working with this guy on some set of muscles, and uh, I'm talking to him about Jesus talking about sermon that I preached the night before, the series that I'm involved in, and things like that, and talking about Jesus for an hour. Why? We were having a good discussion. We were seeing how it worked out in people's lives, and Jesus happens to be important to us. So we were talking about Him. Okay? That's life for us, if you're abiding. If you're not abiding, you, you might get caught up in all kinds of things that just aren't going to help you spiritually, okay? But notice his word abiding in us. Uh, Yeah, I know, COVID. (laughs) My days are numbered. I am not leaving here a day before that final number comes up. I'm not staying a day after. I don't need to fear COVID, monkeypox, car accidents, don't need to fear any of them. Which one might God use to bring me home? Oh. Might be a heart attack. Those days are numbered. I'm not leaving a day before, so why am I afraid? And like I say, when he calls me home, I ain't staying a day after. Not because I want to stay, because I have no control over that. Whole point being is We're abiding in His Word. We're believing it. We're putting it into practice. Okay? So the conditions, that's the conditions of bearing fruit. How about, uh, notice, being fruitful is part of salvation. In Romans chapter 6, verse 22, uh, it says, if I can find that page, there it is. Um, Well, maybe it is. I I can't find it now. (laughs) Oh, where are we? I don't know. I got these out of order apparently. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. There it is. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. How about Romans 7, 4? Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So bearing fruit is part of salvation. Uh, What is the fruit that we're bearing? Well, first of all, it's the character of Christ, and it's produced by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. If you look at that, that, that's not all of the fruit. That's not all of the character. That's just a portion of it. It is the character of Christ. Uh, Romans, uh, Ephesians 5, 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Who claimed to be the truth? Jesus Okay, uh, Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him to his uh, thanks to his name. Now notice it is by him. And then what are we doing? We're praising God. We're giving thanks. Romans chapter one. And when they knew God, they honored him not as God. Neither were thankful. So again, this is something that the Spirit produces in us. James 3.18, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. By those who make peace. By, by those who are going out and telling other people how they can have peace with God. By those that are keeping their relationships right with one another because God has given to us peace. We are justified by faith and we have peace. Peace. With God, whole point being, as we see, it's the character of Christ produced by the Holy Spirit. Number four, it, or number six, it is a result of God's loving discipline. Hebrews twelve eleven. Now, no chastening, no spankings for you kids seem to be joyful for the present. That's for sure, but painful, nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you're getting a spanking, and I know some of you don't, but that's okay. You can talk to God about that later. If you're getting a spanking, it hurts. But if you'll learn the lesson from it, you probably won't get that spanking again. Hmm, interesting. But it is part of God's loving discipline. And fruit should be cultivated and maintained. Titus 3.14 says, And uh, let our people also learn to maintain good works... That's going to be part of the fruit also to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Uh, 2 Peter one eight nine. and 9. For if these things are yours, and that was our scripture reading this morning, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and all that kind of stuff. If they're yours and abound, in other words, if you've been about the business of growing up as a Christian and understanding who God is and how He wants you to live, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things... Is short sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, everybody wants to say that the guy in verse nine isn't saved. That's a a easy way to explain it. Think about it with me for a minute. For he who lacks these things is short sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed. It sounds like guy might be a believer that didn't get about the business of growing up. Now, he might be an unbeliever. But again, whenever we're talking about people that you just don't know, you don't know because they're not bearing fruit. Why aren't they bearing fruit? They might be immature. They might be short-sighted, lifeless, or stunted growth. Okay? Whole point being is, If he has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his old sins, what did he do? He went back to some of them. Ouch. Okay, Uh, again, it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be a part of your daily routine, if you will. Getting in the Word, seeing where God's pointing things out in your life, and and dealing with those things. Now, I, I don't know about you, but it goes on to be unfruitful. Unfruitfulness is caused by a wrong focus. Matthew uh, 13, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Same guy that didn't bring any fruit to maturity, again, might not be saved. Okay, Mark four nineteen. and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Stunted growth. Might not be saved, but it could be stunted growth. Okay? So it should be cultivated, maintained. Uh, Unfruitfulness is caused by a wrong focus. It's related to darkness, Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, we're called to walk worthy. If we're going to be walking worthy, we're going to be saying, abortion is wrong. Well, what about, and they give you all these reasons, which make up approximately 5% of all abortions. Maybe we ought to point that out, okay? You may fall on one side or the other within that 5%. I'm going to let you and God figure that one out. I know what I believe, okay? The, the reality is, is 95% of abortions in this country have nothing to do with those whatabouts. It's just a form of birth control. That's all it is. I have not lived the way that God wants me to live, and now I'm suffering the consequences, and I don't like the consequences. I'm getting rid of the consequences. Now, if someone's going to get offended by that, tough. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry that you're offended. Okay? Um, but again, that, that's darkness, wanting to kill babies. Wanting to be involved in sex trafficking—that's darkness—and and, and that whole concept. We got a lady right down the road from us uh, at the corner of Lebanon and uh, One Sixty One. Got that LGBTQ flag out there? Fine, I, I don't I don't care. Got that little triangle with the pastel colors? You know what that's for? Minor attracted persons. I'm sorry, that's wrong. That's a perversion. Now, if you're born again and you got that issue, it's like any other issue. Doesn't mean you got to live it out. Okay? God is gracious and merciful, and we can be too. Okay? But it's wrong. Expose it. Now, uh, we're already out of time. I can go until three. Um, so let me uh, let me fill in your blanks for you. Increasing in the knowledge of God. This is probably even more, more important than the fruitfulness concept, but it, it takes work. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. If you receive my words, treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ears to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice, da-da-da-da-da-da. This morning's readings, but uh, f- for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Okay? It takes work. Letter B, uh, a lack of it brings judgment. Hosea 4.1, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of, lo- of the Lord. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge in, uh, of God in the land. N- notice, there's no knowledge of God in the land. Therefore, judgment was coming upon them. You wonder why we have the administration that we presently do. Maybe we need to look at us and see, are we walking worthy? Or have we been kind of living in the comfort of it all? Um... The desi- uh, God desires that we have the knowledge of God. Hosea six six. I'll let you look that one up later. How we shine before a lost and dying world. First Corinthians fifteen thirty four. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You know we have given the world all kinds of reasons to believe that we are no different than they are. When the truth of the matter is, is we are walk worthy. Uh, the, it is the place, uh, the place of our battles is about the knowledge of God. Second Corinthians 10, five, uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood and all that kind of stuff, but we have the word of God, um, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If, if you're increasing in the knowledge of God, when these lies come up, you're going to be able to spot them as lies. Okay. Um, It's where we find grace and peace, 2 Peter 1-2. We are called into His kingdom and glory, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2-12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Uh, So let's start with His own kingdom. We have been delivered from darkness into the kingdom of light, uh, Colossians 1-13. It is a kingdom of righteousness, peace and joy. Romans 14, 17. It's a kingdom of power. 1 Corinthians 4, 20. Once again, I have failed enough in my own Christian walk to understand you might be saying, where's the power? The power is in the knowledge of God, in learning how to walk with Him. That's where the power is found. It's not found in your own effort, okay? But we are part of a kingdom of power, uh, the members of the kingdoms, number one, they suffer here. 2 Thessalonians 1.5, uh, James 2.5. And the members of the kingdom receive the kingdom, Hebrews 12.28. Now, if you're walking worthy and you're understanding all the things I've been talking about, I love this one right here. Entering that kingdom someday... Yes, we're members of it now, but you know, we we see what's going on in this world. Is this the kingdom of God? I know uh, the Mormon guy thinks that it's coming down to Independence, Missouri. He's wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, entering into the kingdom for those that walk worthy will be amazing. Notice what Second Peter one eleven says. If I can find it on my page here. There it is. is. <laughs> Second Peter 1.11 says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Go back and read the context. Okay? Whole point being is, when we're living right, kind of like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Anytime. And when we get there, it's kind of like, whoa, this is good stuff. Uh, it reminds me of the story of the missionary that came home about the time that uh, one of the Roosevelt's or whatever uh, was coming back from a hunting trip and when they got to the same town uh, the president got off the train and there's a band and everybody da, 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 you know all that kind of stuff and the missionary got off and there was nobody waiting for him There's no fanfare he had started who knows how many churches how many people came to know Christ and none of that was there he ended up dying alone cold Well, you know let's make it as miserable as we can and uh But when he opened his eyes in heaven, all kinds of people there to greet him, people that he had led to the Lord, people that somehow, because of the influence of his life, had come to know the Lord. Yeah, that kind of amazing. And then number two, participants of his own glory. Man's dealing with God's glory. Romans 3.23, we've all fallen short. Okay, Romans one twenty three. We exchange the glory of God for the glory of animals and uh, four footed creatures and things like that. But Christ shares his glory with us, and the glory which you gave to me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be uh, compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Even even the earth is, is groaning, waiting for that to happen. Okay? So uh, Christ shares his glory with us. This is God's plan from the beginning, Romans 9.23. Progressively, it happens in sanctification. I remember going out to uh, dinner with uh, Bobby and uh, George Langston, uh, went out to Culver's or someplace like that, and she goes, you know, when you first came here, I I wasn't too impressed. (laughs) Bobby tells the truth, Okay. But as I've watched God work in your life and as you've grown, kind of like, okay, it's neat to see the change, okay? Uh, That's the idea. It happens progressively in uh, sanctification. Through God's Word, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're looking into the mirror of His Word. We're seeing the glory of Christ. Uh, And then through trials, I don't know about you, but they should have told me about trials before I got saved. I probably wouldn't have. No, no, that's not true. Uh, Trials is what God uses to change us, to make us into the image or the glory of His Son. And then notice, it fully comes with the resurrection. Our, this body is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now, with all that's been said, what's the conclusion? God has done everything. He's given you everything you need to walk worthy. Where we fail, we fail because of our own shortcomings. He's called us to walk worthy. How are you doing? Do you need to do something, change something, so that you can show forth that glory just a little bit more? If you do, now is the time to commit yourself to doing it. Because you're going to leave here, you're going to go home and you're going to roast a steak or or whatever you do with it, and you're going to get caught up in life again. And that's all meant to stunt your growth, to get your attention off of. So commit yourself to uh, doing something about it, and then find someone that'll do it with you. Uh, I meet with a couple of people a week where it's kind of like a discipleship thing. It's not that I'm so much better than they are or anything like that. We just talk about life. Yeah, we're going through books and stuff like that, but we talk about how it applies to life because we're all living it. Sometimes we fail, and sometimes we have to admit that to one another. But that's what it's all about. Young ladies. There's a young lady right over here with uh, whiter hair than you have. She wants to start a Bible study for young women. Why? Because the Bible says older women, no offense intended, should teach younger women. Okay? She's having a hard time finding young ladies who want to learn. We have men's Bible studies. Monday night, young guys. Uh, Thursday night. Yeah, them. (laughs) Friday morning over at Cracker Barrel. Pastor's got a group that meets over there. It used to be a men's Bible study, and then a woman showed up and said, is this a men's Bible study? And everybody looked at each other and said, no. (laughs) So whole point being is, If you haven't been about the business, walk worthy. Where you're not, figure out what needs to be changed and change it. Let's pray. Father, as we come now, we thank you. You have been so patient, so gracious. We've seen you do wonders in lives of many people, maybe even in our lives. But we recognize we have not yet arrived. We don't expect to in this life. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that when we see him, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. But even that is your work. So we ask, Father, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that we might receive whatever rebuke maybe we should have received, that we might see the areas that need to change, that we might submit ourselves humbly, to your work in us, so that we could walk worthy and be fully pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You know, that new covenant thing, God has written his law in our hearts. He's given us a new heart, a new spirit. He has put his spirit within us. And according to Ezekiel, he causes us to walk in his ways. He gives us the desire to honor and glorify Him. And when He talks about walking worthy, I believe if you're here today and you're born again, you want to. Listen to Him. Submit yourself to Him. Get into His Word and learn the things you need to learn. And you will walk worthy. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at EdgemontBibleChurch.org. That's Edgemont Bible Church, all one word.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.